Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Last week, Pastor Allen did an incredible job. He was talking about, uh, we were going through our finances, but he, he was really setting another brick like we talked about two weeks ago. And, um, and it's the small things that add up to big movements, right? It's the small things that, that build us into a, a movement that God is doing. And I believe with all my heart that in 2023, we're going to see um, a lot of foundational things set right to build a big place, to build big people, to big, build big uh, Christians, um, to shake up if you will, the sleepiness that's been going on, and to see it. And it starts off with the seed. It starts off with the small things. In fact, Bill, can you give me, give me a hand? It starts off with the, the, the small things of life that add up to big things. And so you, you plant these things. You, you plant these trees, the, the seeds and the trees. Can you hold that for me, sir? And the seeds and the trees, they hold, and they grow, and they do all those things. And you know what's great about God is God is the God of the second chance, right? He's the God. Hold that for me, Bill. He's the God. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had a crazy time last week. Thanks, Bill. We had a crazy time, and, and I believe that uh, we laughed. We had, you, you know, you have those moments, and I felt yesterday that, or last week, that when I started laughing, I just, I couldn't get it together. And poor dad. Poor dad. I'm sorry. It's on Facebook. You can rewatch his message in this fast forward for about 15 seconds, and the whole is great there. If you have your Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. We're going to dive right in this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 6 and verse 1. Uh, Josh is, uh, was, was not told what the verses were, so that's on me, but he is a pro, so he's going to catch up with me. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, at this time, pause, uh, they are currently dealing with captivity in Egypt. For hundreds of years, his people have been in captivity. Moses, at this moment, has already, uh, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. He has killed an Egyptian. He ran and he hid to himself. And now we see him that has been hiding from God, but God still speaks. And a lot of times that's where we have found ourselves in life, is that we are doing things in life that, pers- that seemingly are pushing us further and further away from our destiny. But you know what's great is that God has the ultimate checkmate. That even in our furthest moment, God is still positioning us to, to, to be exactly what he wants us to be. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of my people, the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenants. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with acts of great judgment, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you 
out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into this land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession, for I am the Lord. This is what you call a covenantal promise. It hasn't happened yet, but God is saying it will happen. How many of you guys have those things in your life right now? It hasn't happened yet, but God says it will happen. See, the great thing about the story of, of the Israelites going from slavery into the promised land is that the vast majority of the story is about the in-between. It's not so much the greatness of the promised land, and it's not so much the hardness of the slavery. But you'll see what takes place. It's the in-between from when God declares something over your life to when you actually experience it. And that's where we find the vast majority of our time. In Exodus chapter 24, they've already left, right? They're, already, they're, they're free from the, 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 the trials and the tribulations of the Egyptians, but they have not yet reached the promised land. And it says this, uh, that God uh, goes and wants to meet with his people. How great is that? God wants to connect with his people. So what God does is he comes down onto this mountain that looks like smoke and fire, and it scares everyone. Now we go, well, why would you be scared? It's the presence of God. If I saw a huge plume of smoke and fire surrounding the RSA Tower downtown Montgomery, and everyone's like, just go on in. No, not going to happen. I understand with my natural mind why they would be afraid, because the world was shaking, the mountain was on fire, and they didn't know what was going on. But Moses knew his responsibility was to always chase the presence of God. And this is the thing that I believe that God is pushing into our world today. Is are you not going to just be a deliverer of people, but will you be a presence pursuer? Moses was able to deliver the people because he pursued the presence more than anything. In verse, chapter 24, then Moses went up to the mountains, and the clouds covered the mountains, and the glory of the Lord, this is in verse 16, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud, and he went up. To the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses, at this moment in his life, is now fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God. Right now, our church is, is called a fast. We're walking through a fast, and whether it's food or Daniel's fast or electronics or caffeine, whatever it is that's going on in your life, is, is we're fasting pursuing his presence. And in the 40 days that, that Moses was with, with God and doing his thing, he had an encounter with God. The school office is closed. That's great. Um, he, can you go ahead and play that video for me, Josh? Um, he, he had all of these things. He wasn't sitting idly by. In the 40 days that he was fasting, every one of these laws, all these buildings, all the structures, all the plans, all of these things were taking place on this mountain. In his 40 days, it wasn't just relaxing. In his 40 days, he was getting the blueprints of what would be the future of Israel. Moses is having an encounter with God, and I would love to have that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love God to sit down with you and go, hey, here's the next blueprint of your life. 
And here's what you're going to do. And here's what you're going to wear. I mean, even down to what they wear. You're going to wear this much. Your hair is going to be this long. You're going to have these kind of jewelry. Yeah, I mean, I would love for God just to be my fashion designer, to have all my plans and purposes, to tell me how I'm going to decorate my house. And he's going, if you do these things, these one, two, three, four, five things, we will have an encounter of God. So Moses is now going, this is what God's heart is. He's having an encounter. He's had this experience. And now he's coming off the mountain. And the very next part, he comes down to see what? The people of God worshiping a golden cow. Moses has this encounter on top, on high. And he comes off to meet with the other people, and he sees them in their lowest moments. And here's what happens. A lot of times when you are fasting and pursuing God's presence, you get shell-shocked when you encounter the world yet again. A lot of times in my life when I'm having these God encounters and I'm having surrounded by God encountered people, when I come down and I experience what's happening in everyday society, it's a shell shock and you don't know what to do. Moses takes these tablets, throws them on the ground. God's like, I'm going to wipe them out. They're done. He makes a promise to Moses. Moses, if you just let me get out of the way, I will make a whole tribe just from you. You know what that is? He's looking at Moses and saying, I can make you the next Abraham. Think about that. Think about how we revere Abraham. Think about how great he is in the Jewish face. And he had this moment in his life where God goes, I'll just make you the new Abraham. I'll wipe them all out. It's going to come from you. And verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go from here, you and all the people from whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt, to which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offsprings, I will give it. And this is what he says to Moses. <laughs> you know what? Verse 2, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pezzarites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, and go, and you can have this land flowing of milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way. And when the people heard this, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people, for if a single moment I should go among you, I would consume you. So take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Check this out. It's an interesting thing because we see that when, when, we, when God tells Moses the people are worshiping a calf, at this moment in, in, in history, there should be approximately, what, three million-ish refugees at this moment? And you know, it's crazy. God says this. He tells the Levites, grab a sword, and I want you to walk through the camp, and anybody who has been worshiping, kill them. And then he says, I'm going to send the plague for the rest. All in all, from those two events, roughly 29,000 people die. You know what's crazy? I had it in my mind that the entire nation was worshiping. Out of 2 million, 29,000 were roughly doing this. Isn't that what our society is? Isn't it the little things that have been driving big changes and big decisions and big things moving? And this is why we have to have a person like Moses going, God, don't wipe out the 2 million for the 22,000. 
God, there are still righteous people on this earth. There are still righteous people in our churches. There are still things going on. So God looks and says, you know what? I won't wipe them out, but what I will do is I will send an angel to go and give them everything that they want. You ever read the story of Jacob and Esau? And it says, there's a verse that bothers me. It's always bothered me. It says, and the Lord loved Jacob, but what? Hated Esau. I, I've had the hardest time with that verse for the longest time in my life. And then it just hits me. You know what God did to Jacob? He corrected him. Over and over. It gets to a place where God himself wrestles with Jacob. If you look at that moment from the, when he gets his blessing to the moment he comes back to his homeland, his life was rough. You know what Esau's life was? Everything he would want. Because the Bible tells us that the Lord corrects those he loves. And here's what he's doing. He's at this place in Egypt. I mean, looking at the children of Israel going, I'll just give you what you want. Just go. Just go. Do whatever you want to do. I'll wipe them out, and I'll give you every desire. In other words, I'm going to let you be Esau. Y'all go ahead. Isn't that a harsh thing for us to go? That the goodness of God in a lot of ways is us hearing him say no? It's dangerous when God gives us everything we ask for. When all of our plans and all of our dreams and all of our wants and all of our things have been going through life and we're not getting convicted and we're not having any kind of no's, every moment you should pop the brakes eventually and go, hold up. What's going on? For Esau, I hated because, in other words, I didn't correct him like I did Jacob. I didn't bring correction to his life like I did Jacob. And Moses understands what's going on. Moses knows what's happening. And Moses goes before God. And in verse 12, it says, See to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know who you will send me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and I have found favor in your sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight... Please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Isn't it crazy that Moses is asking God to show me his ways after he's led these people out? Here's some good news. Moses didn't figure it out yet, so neither should you. It's okay that you don't know everything. And it's okay that you don't have all your ducks lined up. And it's okay that you're still making mistakes. And it's okay that you're still not doing everything perfect. Moses, who was one of the biggest heroes of the faith, goes, Hey, now it's about time for God you show me your ways. I've got a lot of things down, but one thing I need is I need you to show me your way. And he said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he says to God, If... Your presence will not go with me. Do not bring me from here. How shall I know that I have found favor in your sight? Is it not with you going with us? Resumes. Resumes tell you where I've been. But you can't define my life based on where I've been. 
Resumes tell you a stopping point, but they don't tell you the story. I left my house yesterday to go to the gym. My gym's uh, Club Four. It's over there by the Prattville Walmart, old back in the day, if y'all remember, Kmart. They took over. And I can send you my GPS, and it'll say Pete left his house at this time, and he arrived at Club Four at this time. And you now get to make an assumption on the route that I took to get there. Some may say he went down 14 all the way and came up McQueen Smith. Some may say he took 75 and took Cobbs Ford. Some, some may say he zigzagged through. You don't, it gets to a place where you can make an assumption. And here's where we are. <laughs> in my life and in your life and in everyone else's life that's around you, you can try your best to make a judgment call on the stopping points, but you have no idea about the journey that it took to get to this place. If you want to understand who I am and what's my future like, you need to study where he's leading me, not where I came from. My requirement is to follow his path, not to blaze a new trail. That's why Moses went to the mountain, because he knew one thing. Where you go, I'll go. Every place that you go, God, and every place that I walk, I want to follow that spot. I want to follow your footprints for every step in the right direction. So God, I don't even care if we don't talk about a piece of property, a raise, a large organization, a promised land. I just want to walk where you walk. That's what Exodus 33 is all about. It's about being in a place that's so wrapped up with his presence that you couldn't care less about the promises he made 10 chapters earlier. Because without the promise of his presence, the things just don't matter. Moses would rather live his life in the wilderness than take one day in a promised land without him. And that's how we get to his place where Moses so quickly could say, if you don't go, then I don't go. And I, could, I don't care about the things. I don't care about the next marker. I don't care about the fame. I don't care about these things. Because one thing Moses learned in his wilderness was that he relied on the presence what got Moses out of Jethro's house was a promise. What sustained Moses for the next 40 years was the presence. And this is what's happened in our Western American world, is that we for so long have been chasing the promises of God and not chasing his presence anymore. And all the while, God's going, you can take what's out of my hand, but I want to give you my heart. This is what fasting is to me. It's not a diet. It's not about being spiritual. It's not about trying to manipulate God to give me something. It's about his presence. There's a few things we want to talk about with fasting, and, and then we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. First thing is, is that fasting is feasting on God. 
Jesus says, if you fast without the motives to impress other people, your fasting in secret will be rewarded in secret. If you're looking to fast to try to get something to look big and fancy and all these wonderful things, you're fasting for the wrong reasons because it's in the secret place that God is. How about this? It's in the secret place where he shares secrets. It's when you humble yourself in a fast and you humble yourself and get into the secret place with God and you're chasing after his presence that he begins to whisper things to you that he hasn't whispered to anyone else. God did not make up the plans on the fly when Moses went to the mountain. But when Moses humbled himself, surrendered himself, followed the presence, God goes, well, since you're here, I will tell you my secrets. It means that when we draw near to God, he rewards us with his presence. It's not suffering for suffering's sake. It's not passing up on these appetizers of food and, and doing all these things because woe is me, I'm a, I'm a believer and I'm trying to do this for Jesus. You know, there's a difference between doing something for Jesus as an obligation and doing something for Jesus as he is my reward. You know, it's an opportunity for us to know God and his will and it's more satisfying to have his presence in my life than to fulfill any hunger pains that may be in my stomach. Only those who fast truly have a lifestyle of seeking his face understand that the main course really is. If you've been in one of those fancy restaurants, I, I, I like to eat in bulk. You, you take me to Texas Day Brazil, an all-you-can-eat steakhouse, it makes my heart pitter-patter. You take me to a restaurant for the same price, and they give you a steak this big with some garnish on top because it's fancy, I go, where's the rest? You know why? Because I have subjected myself to feeling myself versus taking a moment and experiencing something. Fasting is feasting on who he is, not just keeping yourself busy all the time. It's common for us to look and say, it's so hard, and I'm tired, and I'm hungry, and I'm cranky, and I'm, uh, I, you don't understand, Pete, the cost is too high, I can't do this. Then fasting is an intentional way of me looking at God saying, you, Father, mean more to me than any of these things. The second thing fasting does is you're giving yourself to prayer over an urgent matter. Uh, there's a ton of examples in this, and you can see it in the pamphlet that I handed out to you guys, from Queen Esther to Moab to Ammon and, and all these things. But can I tell you that there are times in our lives that we realize that the only hope that we truly have is when we have God's favor, when we're finding ourselves in his presence and we're seeking after him with all of our heart. And it's in those times that we, that we inquire of the Lord, and fasting is a way not to gain his attention, but to tune our frequency to his, his frequency. I need to say this over and over again. Fasting doesn't wake God up. Fasting isn't like, oh, something's happening down here. Because God is perpetually speaking over you. But in a lot of ways, when I say no to the world, when I say no to the flesh, when I say no to those things, it's retuning my frequency back to who he is. 
It's like an old radio that you have to dial up and you lose it and you find it and you lose it and you find it. You're tuning yourself as a, tuning, uh, as, as a radio back to his frequency to hear what's going on, to see his reward, to see his providential hand happen. Can I tell you this? The third thing is that my, my food now is to do the will of the Father. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I think a fasting can be a time in our lives where we're expressing that we're in full, complete submission to the mission. I'd love to say that churches, even, even in this church, breathes to do the will of the Father. But my experience with churches across America is that most of us are quick to declare what the gospel is and that it is good, but slow to express the gospel to everyone. Mainly because we don't like to take personal responsibilities when it costs us more than an amen. Because you can stand up here and you can preach about the Great Commission. You can preach about the lost. And you can preach about these things. And everyone's like, yes, amen. But then nothing happens. And I can preach to you about having people coming in that are the down and outs. People who have long hair. People who smell. People who don't dress the same way. People who have all of these things that aren't the same. Whose kids are unruly. And y'all can be like, yes and amen. But what happens when they come and they sit in your seat? And what happens when they come and you walk in the hallway and they don't smell the right way? What happens when their kids are going crazy down in kids' church? What happens when there's a stain because they spilled something? What happens to that? Does your amen turn to an oh me? What are we doing? Because doing the will of the Father is seeking those who are lost and declaring the deliverance over their lives and bringing them back to the salvation of who Jesus is. And the salvation of who Jesus is is not about having a three-piece suit on and a good haircut. The salvation of who Jesus is is taking somebody who was on their one-way street to hell and you woke them up and turned them around. And it may take days, it takes weeks, it takes months, it may take years, it may take a decade, but can I tell you something? The process of watching the mission come to pass is so worth it. No. People, in a lot of ways, like to claim the responsibility for their style of worship music in church. Or making sure that they're comfortable. Or just giving some money to the poor versus getting in the mud with them and connecting with them. I had a conversation with Pastor the other day. Last week, week and a half ago, whatever it was. And I said, you know what bothers me, Dad? I've, I've heard his testimony. Dad was not who he is today. Can I tell you something about him? When he got saved, he changed. And he has perpetually been changing ever since. In fact, I have a vivid memory of me in 2003 coming home and Dad wrapping his arms around me. And it felt different. And I looked at Mom and I went, is everything okay? And even since then, the dad who he is then isn't the dad who he was when I had my kids. And from the moment he, I've had my kids to the dad who he is today, he is continually 
developing, and he's continually growing. But can I tell you where he used to start when he got saved? It was long hair, it was uh, overalls that were stained, and they were so bad that he would stand in the back of the church because he didn't want to get dirt anywhere. And I sat there and I looked at Dad and I said, where's the Allens? Where are the old Allens? Not old, old dirt, like the old school Allen Covas. And when I said it, I wasn't prepared to say it. It just, it hit, it just bloop, popped out of my mouth. And I'm like, and I, it broke my heart because I began to ask myself, have we as a civilization begin to go in, I want these type of people in my church and I will just send money to the rest to stay away. I don't care if they come in smelling like weed. I don't care if they have jeans or shorts or they are out from, you know, coming in from a, a long weekend bender. I, I don't care if they smell. I don't care if they have long hair. They have no hair. If they've got a cul-de-sac. I don't care if they've got any kind of crazy hair of any kind of color at all. I don't care if there's tattoos. I don't care if there's no tattoos. I don't care if two weeks ago they were mainlining meth and now that they're coming through. I don't care because our responsibility is to take them to the cross. Not sending money online to somebody to do the work for us. The Bible says, ye go into all the world. You. Sure, there are missionaries that go and pl uh, 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 plow away from foreign lands. But he tells us, start first where? In Jerusalem. In other words, start home. I shouldn't send a missionary to Millbrook. Come on. Because everybody in this room should be a missionary to Millbrook. Because our food now is not to make sure that we're comfortable and that we have our seat and that nobody takes our seat and that the air is perfect and, the, and, and EJ hits the right notes and we have the right songs and, and Pastor Pete's funny and he shoots holes in walls and, and all those things. No. Our aim should be who will die today and go to hell that I can stop? That's got to be the forefront of our minds, right, y'all? Is looking at people going, if today was it, if today was it, I want you to know that you were loved. And this is a weird thing. Uh, remember the movie uh, Groundhog's Day? He lived the day over and over and over and over day, And it gets to a place where he finds the homeless man. I remember this. And, and every day he would still die. And so he finds him going, well, if he's going to die today, I'm going to take him to a restaurant, and I'm going to feed him everything he can possibly want. And I'm going to give him a nice hotel. He's going to have a nice bath. He's gonna, this is his last day. Can I tell you all, these are their last days. And we can't just keep walking by going, somebody else will do it. When I was training as a lifeguard, uh, they were doing, get, getting us trained uh, in CPR. And you see it in the movies that somebody collapses and somebody screams out, someone call 911, and then somebody's doing chest compressions, right? But what happens when I say someone call 911, every single person in this room thinks someone else is going to call 911. 
So what they would train us to do is you call 911. You flag the medics when they come down. You do this. So when God is saying you go to the world and preach the gospel, he's not making a generalized statement for somebody else to do. He's saying you do this. You bring somebody in. You bring somebody in. You meet them. You don't know what to say. Neither did Moses. He just started walking where God walked. He told people to do this because that's what God said. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I haven't arrived, but I'm getting closer every day. Alan Kova is completely changing every single moment, day by day. He's evolving into who God's called him to be. And what he's saying is, is if you would follow me because I know where I'm going, you'll get there too. Well, we got to get them right. No, it doesn't matter. Go load up your car, put them in the back of your pickup truck. I don't care. Bring them to, you don't know what to say? Bring them. We'll say it to them. We'll take care of that part for you. I love Matt Gober because one thing he used to do is when he would go and witness to somebody, he'd go to the bars and find somebody and he would grab them, throw them in his truck or his car and drive them to the preacher's house and knock on the door. Middle of the night, 2 a.m. Hey, I got one. <laughs> Remember that story? I got one. And so the preacher would bring him in the house and lead the guy to the Lord. The guy would sob and he'd go back to bed. That's what he would do. I got one. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you went fishing and you got one? That's a hard thing. I asked my staff this a couple of weeks ago. What's your circle? Who would you invite to church? Who would you lead the Lord? And I realized really quickly, the vast majority of us, our circle is this circle, and there's not a new circle. And I'm like, we've got to get out of this circle and bring new lost in. Because you at one time were that person. Somebody sought you out at one time. Not every encounter of every single person who came to the Lord was in a hotel room by themselves. And even when Pastor Allen, who no one brought him to the Lord, had an encounter with God, he realized, i got to do the same for other people. And he began to bring people to the Lord. Here's why. Because saved people love to save people. The bows and arrows there. I got real arrows. Y'all can shoot me later on. Last Fasting makes us hungry again. Our car gave me a book called The Jesus Fast, and one of the chapters is entitled uh, Summoned to the Brink of History. It starts off with this quote, and I'll read it to you. It says, There is no such thing as unmotivated people, just those who listen to the wrong dreamers. The world does its best to tell me what to dream. What they should look like, what they should smell like, what they should sound like, how my dream should look, what's Instagram worthy, what I can put on my story, what I should be constantly doing with my life. What's okay, what's not okay, what's socially acceptable, and when I should be quiet, when I should put aside my convictions, and when I should start new convictions because I didn't know that was an issue, and now it's supposed to be an issue. What degrees I should go after. And what even marriage is, is now listed by what the world tells us what we should dream. And if you don't agree, then you're wrong. 
and you should be fired, and you should be homeless. But then, hey, we get on, never mind, I'll let that go. Um, they have a dream, and they have wrapped their dream up, and they delivered it to us. And can I tell you, if they would deliver this dream of today, 20 years ago, they would have been thrown out of the nation. You know what the world does? You know what the devil has on his time, on his side, is time. He doesn't go, here's everything at once. No, no, no. He's fed us morsel by morsel, sliver by sliver, piece by piece. And now we're at a spot now where we're looking at it going, huh? There's, a, there's, there's soon to be a motion. It's already happened in some nations. It's going to be happening here. And I promise if it's not coming soon, it'll be in the next 10 to 15 years. Where, where, where pedophilia is now supposed to be accepted because they're born this way. This is, this is where our world is going. It's no longer should be a crime. It, you're born this way. And I'm watching this whole thing going, you would have told that in the 80s? They were just, you'd have disappeared. Like, you just disappeared one day, and whatever happened, we don't talk about them. Mm-mm. They gone. But it's small steps. It's morsel by morsel. It's, it's a very small thing. And what we've done is these small little bites have made us full. You ever go to a Mexican restaurant and get chips and salsa, and all of a sudden it takes 20 minutes to get your food, and you're like, I ate three bags of chips. I'm stuffed. That's why I like going to the buffets with the horns. Like, it's already out for us, and we can go and tear up the food whenever we want to. When we find ourselves full, it makes us comfortable, and it makes us numb. And when our days are marked by excess, we lack the pure passion of hunger. Esau ran to Jacob and said, I'm starving. Give me something lest I die. When was the last time you were at a spot in your life where you were so hungry for a move of God, you thought you were going to die? Yeah, fullness is dullness and hunger is passion. C.S. Lewis says, we have desires that are not too strong. We, we have desires that are not too strong, but are now too weak. Because fasting is a, uh, is a force that reconnects us to our spiritual core. Not only in the sense for longing for God, but also in the deep inner connection by where we get to hear him whisper that you are mine and I am yours. We get to hear him whisper that you are meant for more than just being full of these things. You are meant for me. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be seeking him. This week, if you haven't already started a fast of some sort, start today. It's okay. Jump in today. If you've started and you failed 25 times, pick yourself up and start 20, 26. Like we're, we're, going to, we're going to keep going every single moment. Get up, get up, get up. Chase after his presence. This week, we're going to be seeking his face. You're going to be at home. You're going to be in your car seeking his face walking through his words, praying for his move in your life. And next week, we're going to get together Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night at 6 o'clock. And we're going to come in here and we're going to pray for our church. 
We're going to pray for our nation. We as a corporate body are going to get together next week and pray every single night. And the next Sunday, you guys go to the buffets and tear it up. In everyone's hands should be a little booklet. My challenge for you this week is to go through this. You don't know how to fast. You don't know how to start. I began writing some of these things out, and I realized, why am I reinventing the wheel? I'm sure it's out there, and I found this. It's got some great content. You want to understand why you're doing it? You want to send some things to pray through, some things to pray for? This will be a great resource for you. I wanted to put it in everybody's hands so that you could take it and, and, and go through it in your personal life. On top of all this, I'm asking for one thing. Open your eyes and see what's happening out there. And when you see what's happening out there, don't get mad at the people. Have compassion for those who are broken. Compassion doesn't mean turning your, 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 your eyes away from bad things. Compassion means going to the train wreck that they are and loving them out of it. Find someone. Find two someones, find three someones, four someones, whatever it may be. I'm asking everybody, go fishing this week and bring one home. Pastor P, I don't even know what to say. Just show them the love. Get them some lunch. Bring them some food. Jesus loves you. Our church loves you. It's a safe place. Our pastor is nuts. It's going to be okay. His life has been hell. He can't judge you. So you can go through all of those things with them. And if you're like, well, how do I do this? I don't know. Let me call him up. If you want to sound spiritual, put a headphone piece in. You can just repeat my words and say it back out to them. Call me. I'll meet you wherever you are. We'll lead the Lord right there at, at a Starbucks, whatever it may be. If you don't know where to start, just look around. It's not that hard. This world is falling apart. And we can't live our lives like Noah on an ark, watching everyone drown and go, bye guys. Open your doors. Open your life to somebody this week. Connect them to the cross with an easy conversation. Get their phone number. Text them, praying for you. Anything I can do. Get them on Instagram or, 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 or Facebook, whatever it is that you have. Find a way to connect more than just be a drive-by preacher. Invite them over to your house, maybe. Have a game night to one of your neighbors or coworkers. It doesn't have to be super spiritual. You just need to connect with someone. Can you do that? All right. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you that in this fast, our hunger is increasing our awareness of your presence is increasing, that we're not fasting to lose weight, we're not fasting to look good, we're not fasting to be spiritual, we're not fasting to get something from you, but what we want is just you. We want your presence in this place, in our homes, in our cars, in, in our workplaces, wherever we go, God. God, we need your presence. We don't need you to authorize every step we take. God, we're asking for you to show us our next step for us to take. God, we just want to partner with your plan. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.